The Old Testament reading is taken from Genesis chapter 32, reading from verses 22 to 30 on page 36 of the Church Bible. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man answered him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. This is the word of God. The New Testament reading may be found on page 1066 in the Church Bible and on the screens. It's the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 1 to 14. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you the living water. Sir, the woman said, you've nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. 
Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, through this praying, open our hearts now, our ears to hear your word to us, and our hearts to respond. By your Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. Okay, so 30 seconds with your neighbor. I've got three questions for you, and they are, firstly, what is the mission statement, the vision statement of St. Jude's. It was on a banner as you came in, but you just have to get it back into your mind again. Secondly, what's the first vision goal? And thirdly, what's the second vision goal? So, what's the vision statement, what's the first vision goal, and what's the second vision goal? 30 seconds, starting now. Okay, you've had your 30 seconds. Sorry, time's up. So, can you give me the vision statement of St. Jude's Church? It is Jesus, love, transforming lives from the heart of South Sea. Say it again. Jesus, love, transforming lives from the heart of South Sea. Okay, and our first vision goal, what was that? To become a to become a contemporary house of worship and prayer for Portsmouth. Can you say it? To become a contemporary house of worship and prayer for Portsmouth. So it's Jesus love transforming lives from the heart of South Sea. Firstly, by us becoming a contemporary house of worship and prayer for Portsmouth, and secondly, by... Sorry? No, we got a bit stuck there, haven't we? Okay, next one. By following Jesus deeper and further. Following Jesus deeper and further. For those who like big Christian words, discipleship. Okay? Following Jesus deeper and further. We're going to be focusing on the second of those goals, which is useful given the difficulty with which you found reciting it to me. We're going to be focusing on that for the next couple of months. Since Easter, Easter sorry, we've been looking at uh, Jesus' resurrection, the impact that that had on his disciples and on us. 
And of course, the first thing that happened, the first thing that the disciples did uh, as Jesus, uh, as they experienced Jesus risen from the dead and then he ascended into heaven, the first thing they did was return to their upper room for prayer and worship. They became a contemporary house of prayer and worship for Jerusalem, Samaria, and the end of the world. And then, last week, we celebrated Pentecost. So six weeks after the resurrection, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came on the disciples and filled them, empowered them, drove them out of the upper room, out into Jerusalem, in order to follow Jesus deeper and further. So that's what we're looking at. What does it mean? How do we follow Jesus deeper and further? Well, for a couple of thousand years, Christians have been asking this same question. How do we know, how do we follow Jesus deeper and further? And many of those Christians, many of those disciples, have been wiser and more passionate disciples than I am. So I've been preparing myself for this series by reading a little book by one of those disciples, a disciple called Aidan Wilson Tozer, A.W. Tozer. At 15, Tozer had become a Christian, listening to a street pastor. He'd become an active witness to Christ. Though he was born in poverty, he'd devoted uh, one dingy uh, basement corner of his family home um, to study and to prayer, to learning how to wait on God. And in this crucible of waiting on the heat of the circumstances of his life, he learnt many uh, lessons which, he, uh, which came out in his preaching and his writing with such impact, and which are distilled in this little book, The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. Nigel Bennett, who knows much more about these things than I do, assures me that you can get it for free on the internet. Why don't you download it or buy it, if you prefer the old technology, and read it for yourself? Well, Tozer begins his book with a prayer from the Psalms. Just a little verse. comes from Psalm 63, verse 8. My soul follows hard after you. O Lord, my soul follows hard after you. Your right hand upholds me. My soul follows hard after you. Your right hand upholds me. So which comes first? Is it me following God or is it God upholding me? Do I follow hard after God because his right hand upholds me or does his right hand uphold me because I'm following after him. Well, deep in the core of our Christian faith, we know that the initiative always begins with God. God moves. God speaks. God creates. God blesses. God chooses. God comes to us. God redeems. That's what Jesus is for us. That's what we find in Jesus. God coming to us in human form. Jesus speaks as God. Jesus blesses. Jesus heals. Jesus rescues. In Jesus, God moves towards us. 
because he is love. His right hand upholds us. God is supreme, majestic, unfettered personality. And yet he chooses to be bound by the bonds of relationship. God pursues relationship with us. He creates in us the capacity to respond, to have relationship with him, to love in our turn. And then he seeks that relationship with us so that together he and we can share communion, relationship. That's what God yearns for. He longs for relationship. And so he is seeking us. He is seeking you, each one of you, each one of us. We can only come to God because he is already coming to us. We can only follow because he leads, because he upholds us. And yet, we too must come to him. We too must follow hard. The communion that Jesus seeks can only happen if we seek it too. All relationship breaks down if, if it's not desired by both parties. We know that, don't we? That's obvious to us. We long for someone to be our friend, to be our lover, to be our spouse. We long for our children to grow in relationship, our parents, our brothers and sisters. We long for relationship to become stronger or to be restored. But if the other person doesn't want that, we're going to be disappointed. More than disappointed, we're going to be grieved. We're going to hurt. And God experiences that too. In Jesus, God offers to us a glorious and terrible choice. Alternative. Either the amazing, extraordinary, powerful, intimate, wonderful presence. Or on the other hand, painful, grieving, absence. And the choice between presence and absence is ours. We choose. Which means right now that the practical reality for us is this. God comes to us, but we must pursue God. We must follow hard after him. Only then can the glory of the relationship with God in Jesus that he is offering to us come into being. Only then can the longing of our hearts and of his be fulfilled in, in this. This is what Jesus yearns for. This is what he asks of us, that we pursue him, that we follow him, that we follow hard after him, further and deeper. So we had in our readings two people who followed after God, who pursued God, who found themselves pursuing God. Firstly, Jacob. Jacob is in flight. Um, he's in flight from, uh, from betrayal and broken relationship with, um, uh, with uh, his, his, um, his uncle, Laban. 
who is uh, one, of the, um, one of the most outrageously treacherous people in the Old Testament. And Jacob has been learning how to deal with that, with what he has inflicted on others. He learns how to deal with that coming to him. And finally, he has to leave. He leaves with everything, with his family, with all his possessions, and he runs away back home, where he will be confronting all that he left behind at home, which was exactly the same. Betrayal and broken relationship and the murderous anger of his older brother. He gets to the Jabbok River. He hears that his brother, Esau, is coming towards him with 400 men. And he's got four women and 11 boys and a lot of cows. You can understand that knowing what he knows about Esau and his relationship with him, he's a little nervous. He's a bit apprehensive. In fact, he's very scared. He gets to the Jabbok River and he decides to send across everything in parties, in sections. First go the sheep, then go the cows, then go most of his family, and then go the precious members of his family and he's left alone on the far side of the Jabbok River. If Esau can be impressed, great. If he can be bought off, so be it. If his anger is still so overwhelming, so murderous, from which he ran originally, which Jacob ran, well, at least Jacob will get some warning as all the other members of his family get destroyed. He's a noble man, is Jacob. Leads from the front. So, here he is on his own. It's night time. He's by the river. The far side of the river, all his family and his brother. Full of apprehension, alone, Jacob finds himself wrestling with God. God approaches him and Jacob fights back. He wrestles, he struggles, don't we all? Why is life like this, Lord? Why me? Why all this pain? Why this suffering? Why the struggle that I have? Why doesn't life go the way that I intended? Why do you not work with my plans? Why don't you do it my way? Okay, I need some help here. Who's the, um, who's the biggest person here today? Who's the biggest, strongest person? Mm. Andy, would you give me a hand? Would that be all right? Thank you. Just, just come and... Um, just show us what's happening here. Okay, so here's God a very, very... Oh, you are big, aren't you? <laughs> let, me, let me just give you the ground rules here, okay? Okay. God is much bigger than Jacob, yeah? But God doesn't want to destroy Jacob. Did you get that? Okay, right. Jacob is much smaller than God, but Jacob is not prepared to surrender, all right? 
So, so Jacob and God get to wrestling, all right? So they're trying to throw each other, yeah? But God's doing it out of all of his, you know, the, the strength and control of his power, and Jacob's doing it out of all of the determination of his weakness, right? They're not getting anywhere. They're at deadlock. So God does something very mean, right? God definitely breaks the rules. This is not how you wrestle. God, no, he doesn't pick Jacob. What he does is he dislocates his leg, okay? So he touches his hip, and suddenly Jacob's leg is dislocated. Have you ever had a dislocated leg? No. No. Has anybody here had a dislocated leg? You are, oh, can you tell me about dislocated legs? Does it hurt? Yes, it hurts a lot. Can you stand on it? Can you stand, you can't stand on your, so two things we know about dislocated legs, it hurts a heck of a lot, and you can't stand on it. So here we've got God wrestling with Jacob, who's only got one leg. Okay, what's going to happen? There's no prizes for guessing, all right? Two people wrestling, one's only got one leg, there's only one possible result. So Jacob has a sudden, complete change of strategy. He's not stupid, okay? It's instinctive. You're fighting with God, you've only got one leg, right? You're not going to throw God now. What do you do? There's only one thing he can do. He holds on to God. He changes the strategy, right? He's not trying to push God away and throw him over. He's trying to cling on to him, keep himself up. And he refuses to let go until God blesses him. Because at the point God blesses him, it's no longer a fight, is it? At that point, they're on both on the same side, and God is holding him up. Do you see what happens? Thank you so much. Bless you. And thank you for playing by the rules. So Jacob, who has been pursuing God throughout his life, since that moment when he met God um, at Bethel, on his way, leaving home, and God promised to be with him, and, and Jacob said, creating his own structure of relationship and rules, said, you bless me and I promise I will give you sacrifice. I will give you a percentage of all that I, I have. And through his life, those 20 years with Laban, as God was shaping and reshaping him, God was still pursuing him. His right hand was upholding Jacob, but he was readying Jacob for the moment when his pursuit of God would stop being a fight, God, do what I want, and become trust. God, I need you in my situation now. And you can understand that Jacob had come from a place where he had been fighting with the world, with his brother first, and then Laban, he'd, he'd, he'd created this success for himself out of the blessing of God, and he had got back to the Jabbok River, and he was fating, facing the destruction of everything he had worked for. And there was nothing he could do about it. He had sent them across the river. And in that moment, with his leg dislocated, he learned how to hold on to God, how to pursue follow hard after God 
in a way that allowed God's right hand to uphold him. Jacob didn't beat God, but he prevailed. He won for himself a blessing. Though that wrestling bout would mark him forever afterwards, he would always limp from that point on. But God had given him a new name. No longer Jacob, the, the one who grasps the heel, the one who deceives. Now Israel, the one who is blessed by God the one who prevails with God. With a new name, he knows he can trust God in any situation, no matter how dire. He's blessed. And from that point on, we see his life change. We see he's come down to the bottom, and we see it, him rise again. It's like those words in, um, in Peter, if you humble yourself before God, he will lift you up. Okay, so here's another person that we heard about in our reading. Similar kind of situation. The woman by the well that Jesus meets. The woman who meets Jesus. Here's a woman in much the same situation as uh, Jacob. Life has been a struggle for her too. She's ostracized, she's alienated, she's ashamed, she's afraid. She too has learnt suspicion distrust of others, of the world. She too is alone here by the water, in fact by Jacob's water, by Jacob's well. And God meets her. And she too fights back. Why are you doing this? Why are you speaking to me like this? Who do you think you are? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Obviously Jesus' struggle with her is uh, rather less um, physical than uh, Jacob's struggle, I'm glad to say. Much more invitational. But it is a struggle nonetheless between a woman and God. And Jesus too does something unexpected and disabling. You remember those words? Yes, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. So you've spoken the truth. The woman is stunned, astonished. All her arguments are disabled. And she follows Jacob's lead. If you can't beat God, join him. If you can't throw God, cling to him. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Is this the Christ? She says to Jesus, give me your blessing. Give me the water, the running water that you're offering so that I don't have to keep coming to this well. Give me your spring of water welling up to eternal life. When God comes to us, we have three options. We can run away, and many do, of course. We can fight against God, struggle with him, try and make him submit to our needs, our desires, and many do. But God will keep pursuing us, and God will not play by our rules, because he wants to win us. And what he invites from us is this third choice, this third way, 
that we should pursue him, that we should cling to him, that we should drink his living water, that our souls should follow hard after him. Moses was like that. He followed after God hard, leading a recalcitrant and grumbling people. In his exhaustion and prayer, he says to God, God, I beseech you, show me your glory. And God does. And David was like that too. Struggling against powerful enemies and against treacherous friends, he sings, just like the stag longs for cool water to quench its thirst, so my soul longs for you, O oh my God. And Paul was like that as well, wasn't he? Laboring to preach the gospel, suffering persecution and privations and punishment, imprisonment, anguishing in prayer for all his beloved churches, beloved but wayward and he writes this, all I had is loss compared with the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whom I have lost everything. And everything I had is just like rubbish. It's like stinking refuse compared with the wonder of knowing Christ, that I may win Christ and be held by him be found in him. Even death itself, the prospect of death, fuels this passion in Paul to follow after Jesus. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Extraordinary. Longing and desire. If God is your treasure, you can never lose. Everything that you lose in this life will be, will be poured out upon you again. And everything you lose, you won't even notice that you're losing it because of the joy that is offered to you in the relationship that you are pursuing. But you must follow hard after him, after Jesus. Stephen's question Yes, but how? Well, that's a question we're going to be answering over the next seven weeks. In different ways. How can we follow hard after God? How can we pursue Jesus? But I'll give you one thing to take away now. It's no surprise, it's no mistake, I think, that both Jacob and the woman at the well were on their own when God met them. We need other people. Other people fill our lives. But it's when we're on our own, when we face our final struggles, that God can finally and fully meet us. Don't wait till the end before you create the spaces that allow God to meet with you. Take time each day. Take time in the year to step back from all your responsibilities and to be alone, to allow God to step into that space. If you were to do that for this next eight weeks, every day create a, a new moment 
alone where God could step in and speak to you. I think by the end of the eight weeks, you'd have a story to tell yourself about God's right hand upholding you as you pursue him hard. If we can only put aside our need to impress God and come to him as a child, if we can seek our Heavenly Father for his own sake, if we can look to Jesus because we love him, then we'll find, like the prodigal son's father, that he is running towards us with arms outstretched, ready to sweep us up and embrace us. Ready to give us the robe of honor, and the ring of authority, and the shoes of blessing, and the hog roast of celebration, and the embrace of love. Shall we pray? O oh Lord God, our Heavenly Father, I have tasted your goodness. And it has both satisfied me and made me more hungry for you. I'm painfully aware of my need for more of you, more of your grace. I'm ashamed by my lack of desire. Oh God, Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I want to long for you. I want to want to you. I want to be filled with longing for you. I thirst to be made more thirsty. I want to, to follow hard after you, to follow you deeper and further. Show me your glory, I beg you. Show me your glory, I beseech you. So that I may know you indeed. In your mercy, begin in me a new work of grace. A new work of love. Say to my soul, rise up, O dear one, O precious one, and come away with me. And then... Lord Jesus, give me the grace, the courage, and the delight to rise up and follow you from this murky, foggy lowland where I live into the glorious heights of the sunshine of your love. Amen.